This is Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> no. Why? why? Why is that funny? Look, look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration and our single serving slasher month we are serving up slashers and uh we, we love slashers around here you know we love the, the the franchises the big franchises but we're trying to show a little love to those single serving slashers that only got one film and i know i said at the beginning that we wouldn't be doing movies that had remakes or reboots but there's a couple that just need to be shown and need to be shown a little bit more love and this one tonight is kind of near and dear to my heart no pun intended actually every fucking pun intended <laughs> yes you have to have that pun in there come on <laughs> all right you know what we're doing here we're doing my bloody valentine from 1981 the year of the slasher a canadian film directed by uh george michaela mchalka sorry got it got it wrong there and uh, this movie is sort of near and dear to my heart because I got to sit in on a, uh, a Q&A session at uh, Cinema Wasteland a couple of years ago where they had a couple of the, they had the director and they had a couple of the cast members there and it was a nice little Q&A. I got to learn a lot about the little behind the scenes and I actually got to star in a movie or co-star in a movie called The Embalmers with Helene Yudi who plays Sylvia in this. She actually played uh, my older sister and she does some mean things to me but she was a nice lady, very nice lady, very professional actress so that was that's my little connection to my bloody valentine as, as short and sweet as it may be. But <laughs> This is a movie that's also near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, this was one of the first movies that uh, me and my wife watched together on Valentine's Day when we first got together. Oh, no shit. You and Nikki watched this on one of your first dates, huh? Yep. <laughs> Great fucking movie. And then when she liked it, you were just like, I know this is the one? Oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And I forgot to do a proper intro, everybody uh, listening at home. This is my good buddy and, and guest co-host, Eric Phillips, doing very well today, I hope. Oh, as good as can be. Yeah. We're limping along. We're old farts now, but, you know, it doesn't mean we party any harder. It just means we go to bed at a more reasonable hour. 
<laughs> or spry. Yeah. yeah, but I, I love this movie. It, it you know came out during the heyday of the slasher. You know, nineteen eighty one was pretty much the year when we were getting, you know, eighty one, eighty two. We were getting, uh, you know, Halloween two, Friday Thirteenth Part two, this one, The Burning. You know, all between those first couple of years of you know nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty two was a heyday for slashers. And yeah, it was getting past the uh, it was getting past the uh, point of you know the early slashers of the seventies. You know they 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 were good, but they really weren't perfected yet. They were kind of dark and gray. They were always because they were independently filmed because most of the studios won't pick it up. But by nineteen eighty one, you know you can look at like this is a good film to look at and you can really see where they started putting production quality into the horror film business well you know that you could tell they gave some love and care and some money into the effects into how it was shot and this one uh i, I also love any movie i have a soft spot in any move for any movie that has its own theme song and we get the ballad of Harry Warden at the end of this movie, you know, kind of neat little folksy kind of song. But any movie that's got its own kind of theme song with the, you know, the title of the movie in it, in it I'm a sucker for that. I, I love that shit. That song's right up there with the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, before we get off into this movie, let me go ahead and give you folks at home listening the quick IMDb synopsis. All right, my bloody Valentine, 1981, is as follows. A decades-old folktale surrounding a deranged murderer killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day turns out to be true to legend when a group defies the killer's orders and people start turning up dead. And that's kind of some misdirection right there. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of misdirecting, like, to who the killer is because that's not exactly true, but it's a good little summary all the same. Yes. But, uh... Before we forget, if you haven't seen this movie yet, no spoilers, or you want no spoilers, uh, if you're streaming, you can watch it on HBO Max or Direct TV. Other than that, unfortunately, you're going to have to rent this one. Uh, you can get it at Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, Microsoft, Redbox, and Apple TV for $3.99. Oh, uh, shit, that's cheap. And you can buy a digital copy of it for $10 in all the same places. Or you can be like me and have the old school, nice 480p fucking uh, DVD that's kind of hard to watch at times, but, you know. Well, it's also available on Blu-ray for, I think I've seen it as low as $13 on Amazon. So that's not a hard one to find. It's just not really streaming anywhere right now which is unfortunate because this is halloween time why yeah, not exactly the good horror movies especially some of these old ones that need a lot of love yeah and if you can watch it i suggest you know i i will suggest actually buying the the special edition blu-ray or the special edition dvd because it's uncut and yeah, this movie had just good what five six minutes cut out of it you know with blood and gore i mean the kill scenes are if you get the r-rated version it's just cut all the shit yeah which is uh, unfortunate there's, there's a lot of a lot of off-camera deaths in this one unfortunately yeah yeah there is which is you know it was during the, the day when I, I think that i had read that in the wake of john lennon being shot and killed that they were 
you know, cracking down at this particular time. And this is one of the first movies that got really uh, cut up by the MPAA and by the ratings board because of, you know, they were cracking down on violence in movies, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it has been restored and, you know, in, in its full glory, you can find it. I mean, the, the DVD and the Blu-ray, as you said, are, you know, less than $20. And if you can, if you can scrape the bottom of your wallet for $20 to, to go out to, you know, get some fast food and well, then get yourself with this movie. That's what I would suggest. Yeah, it's definitely worth the purchase. Uh, but I have, a, I do have one note, and like I didn't know until like uh, I had witnessed the Q and A, and then I did, did a little deep diving on the the interwebs. But uh, this was actually filmed at a couple of real mines in Nova Scotia, and uh, unfortunately, when the locals found out that the movie was being shot there, they decided to spend fifty grand to have the mine updated, painted, and cleaned. This, of course, d- diminished the production. The reason for the production, so they wanted the location in the first place because it was rustic and kind of beaten down. So the director said they had to spend seventy-five thousand of money of their mu- production budget back to have it return the mine to its like original state. It was like fifty thousand oh, wow. to to refurb it and seventy-five to just fuck it all up again. Like that's, oh, that's, wow. that's that's a some you know one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in misallocated funds. I, I'm just saying, just saying. Yeah, for real. Oh my god, if I, <laughs> I can do with that money, <laughs> so much I can do with that money. Now yeah. let's up a fucking cave and then dirty it back up. Right, right. Uh, but I will say I love the way this movie opens. It's got kind of like a the cold open where we get a cut. A guy in his miner's outfit, you know, which we're led to believe is, I'm using air quotes here, Harry Warden, getting ready to get a little, uh, get his fuck on with a, a blonde girl with a uh, tattoo of a heart on her breast. But uh, it's a brutal first kill. I'm not sure. Did you now? Did you see, did you, this time, did you watch the R-rated version or the unrated version? I am not 100% sure because I had to rent this son of a bitch off of uh uh amazon because uh, so, I, I had i thought i owned this movie but i went through my archives and i looked around and it's like oh no i own the remake i don't own them i had at one point i think what happened was when i got rid of all my dvds it was like oh yeah i can find this and i just haven't got around to buying it back again which i don't know why uh sometimes things like that just get away from you you know no reason I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, but I think that first kill is pretty brutal when he sticks his pickaxe in the wall and he starts to make out with her without taking off his helmet and then pushes her back and impales her through the chest with that, like, where that pickaxe just comes out neatly where the heart is. It's like, yes. perfect. It's a great first kill. Yes. And the moral of the story is that you shouldn't have sex with minors. <laughs> oh, but um, um, M I N E R S. I mean, <laughs> M I N O R S, especially, but I shouldn't have to say that. Yeah, you shouldn't have to say that. You shouldn't have sex with either one. You know, that's just, yeah. just as bad. This bad thing. Yeah. It's a bad thing. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, when relaying information, you have to take into consideration the person who is getting said information might just in fact be completely utterly stupid. <laughs> right. So we'd like to clarify around here. 
But we get a little, uh, you know, the introduction with the hijinks with all the good old boys. They're just, they're a group of guys, you know, working in the mines of, you know, it's kind of a group of old folks and group of young folks. And one thing they take seriously, they take their, their hijinks seriously and they take their drinking seriously too. Cause I think that's all there was to do in this town of, of Valentine's Bluff in like 1981. It was this, or 1980 was like work, work, get cleaned up, go out and drink. Like fuck. And fuck, and fuck, and try to fuck, because nobody in this movie really truly gets to do, get any fucking done. If they do, they die. They break they break slasher protocol and, and drink and fuck and then die. Well, I don't know. I think Mrs. Osborne got fucked pretty hard. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to that. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> uh, yeah, she got dribbled pretty hard. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Not kidding, though. <laughs> oh, but we get that. I love that little sign that they have. We talked about this off the air, but the welcome to Valentine's Bluff, the little ta- town with a big heart. Right, our story begins Thursday, February 12th, and we get an introduction to our cast, followed by a hillbilly banjo tune as they freaking run towards the beer. Yeah, they make a beeline for that local bar, like, like the last person there has to pay or something. Yeah, they, they're fucking. By the way, who's your favorite character in this movie? Hollis. Okay, I was about to say Hollis is too. He fucking Hollis comes running out of the fucking, still got his fucking jockey shorts poking out of his fucking pants. <laughs> Hollis is just a fun guy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Busting up fights between friends. He's, he's protecting the girls. You know, he, he's funny. He, he's charming, and also uh, was. <laughs> Played, uh, uh, God, I forgot his character's name, but he was in Meatballs. If you don't remember, he was, uh, he played Fink in Meatballs, which was a totally different kind of character. He didn't have that magnificent handlebar mustache that he has in this movie. Right. I do not remember Meatballs. That's one of the, I think that's one of the movies that I haven't been able to find. Ah, Meatballs, good fucking movie. Meatballs 1. Nah, Meatballs 2, 3, and 4 kind of leaves some shit to be desired. Well, they usually do. That's why we have a show called Deja Vu. Yes. So we'll do Deja Vu. We'll we'll be covering Meatballs 2, 3, and 4 eventually. No hurry. No hurry to cover those. But one of these days, we'll probably will, I'm sure. Do it in a one shot and get it over with quick. Yeah, do the whole fucking trilogy or quadrilogy and just call it a day. Right. Uh, But we get our backstory here. You know, uh, I think it's... uh, What's the name of the bartender? Happy, who is anything but happy. He is the harbinger of doom when he tells the the whole sordid tale of Harry Warden, you know, first Valentine's dance in 20 years. There was a ma- mining accident. Five men got, like, buried alive and only one made it. We find that out from the mayor first. Uh, and yeah. Mrs. Osborne kind of foreshadowed that just the whole uh, Let's just concentrate on the good time of Saturday night and put all that other business to rest. Like, oh, what yeah. business? And the fact there hasn't been a dance in 20 years, that's a little... I wonder why that is. Then fucking here comes old Happy the Bartender. This is where I read that this was described as the deer hunter of 80 slashers. And I kind of like that. That, that analogy of calling it the deer hunter it's, version of, you know, 80 slashers. It's a good, yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to see that. 
because once you do find out, we're we're going to try to keep it a secret to who the killer is to the end. We'll try to if we if we slip and mess up, hey, you know how we do things around here. We we give away spoilers all the time. So if it happens sooner rather than later, folks, I'm just going to have to tell you to deal with it, I guess. But uh, Happy the Bartender does give, you know, a little bit more of the backstory. You know, he tells how Harry Warden got buried. He was the only one that lived, but he was down there for six weeks. And what did he have to do? He had to resort to cannibalism to survive. And I think if you were buried with four of your uh, work buddies for six weeks and you had to gnaw on their legs to, you know, survive, you'd probably come out of that with some reprehensible fucking uh, brain damage, I'm sure. Yeah, that's uh, kind of a hard thing to get past. And before Happy gives us this little intro, uh, we also friggin' get the first glimpse of our two fucking heroes, quote unquote. <laughs> the chief and the mayor fucking driving down the road and he gets a box of candy that he can't figure out where it came from. <laughs> and he gets this little rhyme talking about, you know, this shit's going to happen. And if you don't fucking knock the shit off. I can't remember the rhyme exactly, but he's like, it can't be happening again. And they turn the fucking cop car back around and go back to town. And then, yeah, well, it would also have, I mean, you don't want to gloss over the fact that there was a severed heart in this candy box as well. Yes, there was. Message in a human heart. And then he fucking beelines it. And then we get the friggin' our whole big old backstory about why there's a human heart there. We never really do find out whose human heart that was. I always assumed, and I'm like, you know, when they assume you're making an ass out of you and only you, as they say, but <laughs> uh, I, I just assumed it was the, the random girl that got killed at the beginning. That probably was. Because the, when they do take it to the, the, the corner or whoever in the hell that was, they took it to, he did somehow, like, within seconds, he's just like, oh, this is a, a human heart from a, 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 a female at least 30 years old. And, like, I don't know how he figured that out within that short amount of time. But so I just always assumed it was the random blonde dead girl at the beginning. Right, while they're talking about the heart on top of it, too, the mayor and the chief are sitting there the entire time in the room trying to figure out if Harry Warden is back. And the doctor's like, hello, human heart. Yeah. <laughs> I have an answer. <laughs> I have a, yeah, I have, a, I have an answer. It's either Harry Warden or somebody that just uh, wants to emulate Harry Warden. You know, you just don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think this movie has a couple of... Uh, red herrings in it oh it most definitely does and here's here's another thing the friggin this movie is forgivable because you gotta remember it's 1981 they had the friggin whole filming mpa board going nuts with the shit that you were talking about earlier on top of it they're filming in canada canada has strict rules about filming and what you can film and what you know what kind of movies you can make you know, they're 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 that was a more conservative Canada back then. So, you know, they had that to deal with on top of it. So the off death, you know, the off scene deaths in this movie can be forgiven because you end up seeing what happens and they play it in a way to make it a shock value to where you're not disappointed. You'd like to see more, but they couldn't do more. And, you, yeah. you know, it, it's forgivable. Well, and they did try to show more, but it just got cut all the hell what little they did, you know, they did try to show. 
but sometimes leaving it up to your imagination is just as uh, effective as showing everything on camera. And I think this movie and this R-rated version is just about as effective as the unrated version. You know me, I'm a gore hound. I like I like how my kills bloody and gory. But at the same time, I can still watch the R-rated version of this and not feel cheated in any yes, way. It, you can get the less is more out of it. <laughs> And that's but that's what's filming done right. Even the filler in this movie is filler done right because it's always pertaining to the characters within the filler, or it's comical. Well, it's not it serves a purpose. Yeah, it's, to it's the, comical. It's fucking Jason Voorhees walking from one line of trees to another line of trees, and nothing happened. <laughs> no, everything Which, drives the plot forward, even the filler. Yes, which is you're learning that's, something. You're learning something about all the characters, and you know, and like I said, this movie does has a couple of red herrings. I think, uh, you know, the 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 two of the big red herrings, you know, at least in, in the beginning, is uh, you know TJ, you know, him being gone from town for so long. You know, he left. You know, there's the backstory goes, he left town, left his girlfriend Sarah, left the entire town, and he is also the the mayor's uh, is his, is the mayor's son or his grandson? I can't remember now. I think he was his son. EJ, I think he's the mayor's son. That's what I thought too, but I'd get a little mixed up. It was son or grandson because that's, uh, that's another thing that bothers me is at the end of this film, like the whole entire time, one, one thing that's bothered me is like all the people are calling the people that work in the mine the, the kids. Those are some of the oldest fucking kids I've ever <laughs> seen. In my life. Must be t- tough being a thirty-nine-year-old kid, huh? Right. I mean, well, even at the end of the re- the reveal. At the end, when they show, you know, what happens, it's like, okay, 20 years ago, like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, like, that, that, the, the dude is definitely, we're going to try to not say his name yet, but the dude is, you know, the, the oldest looking 26-year-old that I've ever seen. Like, that's, a, then again, he was working in the mines, so that must have been a hard 26 that's what I'm saying, man. It's just like, when did these kids start working in the mines? The kids at the mine, like, you know, they grew up, right? Like, yeah. This is some kind of child trade thing. Is this like a fucking coal black mine? <laughs> are they are they down there for lithium? <laughs> down Somebody there mining get- black diamonds. Uh, it's like it's, really, it's like it's like you go in and you're like wait a minute. <laughs> I think the the I, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think the grossest death, the most heart wrenching death, is poor Mabel, the 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 elderly lady who's kind of sweet on the mayor, but the one that's like oh, decorating. Os- the, yeah, yeah, Mabel Osborne. Yeah, I'll let you take yeah. this one because I know you got some things to say about her death. Oh my God! Well. Like, first and foremost, I want to tell you, this is, like, probably one of the best scenes in this movie. And because it's, like, first and foremost, you get that shot of the killer's perspective with him laying down the heart and putting all this stuff into place. And then Mrs. Osborne in the laundromat comes in and uh, you get lots of Darth (laughs) Vader. That's the other thing. You get lots of Darth Vader breathing in this movie. (laughs) Uh, yeah, the respirators and stuff. But you know what? Whatever. It puts you into that mindset. Like it plays off the mind thing really well with claustrophobia and 
you know, it, it does a really good job getting that creepy feel being stuck in her mind. But <laughs> she has this great strategy of just opening up drier doors to try and stop a fucking killer. Oh, God. Yeah. And Poor Mabel. Yeah, and her her death is off camera, and uh, but the aftermath of her death is not off yeah, camera, which I found that to be very that's the, the gut wrenching part. The off camera death is forgivable, as it's used later on for a shock scene later. And uh, by the way, what an exciting town! You know, drinking the auto salvage. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, listen, what are you guys doing tonight, Friday night? Oh, we're gonna go to the fucking car salvage, and we're gonna go fucking get drunk. And actually, TJ, you're going to get into a fist fight over Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand, like, the the the, the tension between the two of them. Between TJ and Axel, because, you know, for those of you listening at home, uh, TJ, you know, Sarah was, quote-unquote, TJ's girl in the beginning you know, before he left, but he abandoned her much like he abandoned all his friends and everything else. Comes back and and she's now seeing and dating his best former best friend Axel. So and this, he's all pissy about it. TJ's all like, well, you, you, "She's still my girlfriend, bro." It's like, dickhead, you've been gone for five years and nobody knew if you were coming back or not. Fuck off. Like nobody even knew if he was alive. That's the one thing. Like they didn't know what had happened to him. Like he just disappeared. Which is why I think he makes, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, Axel, not Axel, but uh, TJ is probably the best red herring in this movie. Because they never really come right out and say, like, oh, we think he's killing it. They always think it's Harry Warden. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a fucking scene later on in the movie where uh, Harry Warden's down in the mine and they got to go down. Him and Axel got to go down to uh, try and get these uh, people that have decided to go down into the mine out of there because people are getting killed left and right and uh there's a scene where him and axel go down in the cart and then the next scene tj's in the cart by himself yeah yep yeah. with no explanation just is and then you know then, then we've got the harry warden nobody needs to know what happened to harry warden because after the whole auto salvage fist fight thing uh we go to friday february 13th and this is where we get the first great glimpse into the fucking mental hospital paperwork system failing, which happens a shit ton more than you think it does. This is once again a prime example of the mental the uh, mental health facilities failing their patients. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely. There seems to be a motif of, of, of that with the movie's re, re, review, isn't there? Yeah, well, she's like... He's, he was like, we well, got no paperwork on him, so he's either fucking dead, or he's transferred, or he's been released. Take your pick. Yeah, it's like, like take pick he's one fucking, of the three. Like, I literally... It's, right, it's like, so let me get this straight. This guy is court-ordered into a mental hospital after they can drag him out of the mine because he was down there for six weeks and had to resort to cannibalism. He did a, he did a year in the friggin' mental hospital. He got out went to the fucking Valentine's Day dance and massacred a shit ton of people, got locked away, court-ordered to this mental facility, and they've been he's been there for the last 20 years. But all of a sudden, they just don't have paperwork on him anymore. Like, like, even the, the fucking the doctor, not the doctor, but the, uh, 
the sheriff is just like, what do you mean pick one of the three? He's like, I need to know what happened to this guy. You know what I mean? Like, right now. Right? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Which, you know, that's good on him. But, yeah, that's something that happens. You know, people get put into mental hospitals and they get forgot about <laughs> because they don't have any family, don't have anything going on. And there's no one to ever get them out or to advocate to get them out. They might be saner than you or me. <laughs> they got put there and nobody can come get them out. Yep. And then they just get lost in the system where somebody's just like, well, they're either dead, they've been released, or they escaped. We don't really know. Yeah, that's a prime that's a prime fucking example. You know, and that's uh, that's like right there, that's scarier than any fucking horror movie. Yeah, the idea of that is just like how many of these people are just like I'll take languishing fucking- away. But uh, yeah, back to the back to the story. Back to the story. <laughs> we'll get yeah. off on getting it off on a rant here, but we get off on rants. You know, that's our thing. Yeah, well, it's it, a prime example because of that fucking bitch and her fucking the way she talks to the sheriff, man. It's just it's so you know, it's it's just like well, well I could get the pull of the microfilm, but that's gonna take a couple of days. You're like, you didn't think check the fucking microfilm? Yeah, you didn't <laughs> think to get somebody on that ASAP when there's murders happening everywhere. Well, to be fair, he doesn't tell her that. He just says it's very important, which, you know, still, still. You can read between the lines and kind of know what the fuck's going on, you know. Like, geez, this guy killed people. Now there's more, you know, now we're calling. We need to know where he is because something's going down. You can pretty much figure it out that there's more killings happening. Right. So there's that red herring, too. So, okay, now you have two such. Could be TJ doing this shit, copycat Harry. Yeah. Could be Harry it's loose. Who knows? Nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And our, our our two like, you know, protagonists, you know, our our main protagonists are, are the the mayor and the sheriff. They, they don't really get anything done. They just kind of th- their whole idea is like, okay, we've had two murders. We're just going to shut the town down. We're going to cancel the the dance and everything'll be all right. But well, like no that, matter maybe- when they find Mrs. When they finally find Mrs. Osborne, which is the next scene after the friggin' trying to figure out where Harry is, you know they find Mrs. Osborne in the fucking dryer rotisserie style, <laughs> which is fucking gruesome as shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> but in comes the mayor and his staff, and everyone decides that there's a killer in town, so let's keep it all hush hush. Yeah, he literally threatens everybody. He's like, if this gets outside of this room, he's like, I'll have your asses. Don't tell anybody. It's just like, I know you you don't want there to be any kind of panic, but you also want people to be aware of what's going on. You know what? That's perfect small town thinking. Don't fucking criticize your people that's in charge. Keep it hush-hush. Keep your head down. Fucking keep it as quiet as you can and just fix the problem. And when it ends up happening, it all ends up blowing in their face. <laughs> Yep, and, yep. I think you know, that, personally, I think I'd be running around town going, "Hey, why don't you lock your doors? Because there's a fucking killer around. There's two people already dead. We're pretty sure it's fucking Harry Warden." Yeah, remember Miss Miss uh, you know wonderful Miss Mabel? You know, uh, she she got she got like you said, cooked rotisserie style in a dryer for. I mean, it was the next day I think when they found her. So I mean, uh, wouldn't it have been for? That dryer had to be on for hours. Right. Like, oh, 
Not that the pickaxe through the heart and ripping her heart out didn't like kill her to, to begin with, but to, like to desecrate her like that is just like a horrible, horrible way to go. Steve does a great job of trying to figure out what's that smell that's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> what's that smell? You know what it was? It was the boys heating up their sandwiches on the engine block. Uh-huh. And that's the one thing I got asked. That must have just be a, a Canada thing. You know, maybe it happens in Fargo or something like that where it gets ice cold. But these guys are literally like setting out little mini sheet trays with like, you're cooking the roast beef, you're cooking the turkey. And like, I don't know, I'm having the roast beef. And they're just making sandwiches, but cooking them outside at the auto salvage place. On You've the, never the, been to a Bears game, have you? Huh? You've never been to a Bears game, have you? No, I've never been to a football game. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me tell you about engine block food, my friend. You go into the parking lot. There's two types of people at the Bears games in Chicago. There's the Bears fans that go into the stadium and they drink the fucking expensive beer and they eat the expensive food and they watch the game. And then there's the parking lot people, the tailgaters. These people, it is just an ocean of fat bastards and shirts that don't fit them. <laughs> it's trucks and cars and shit all in a circle listening to the Bears game on the radio. And cooking food, and it's nothing but beer and brats and cheese, and it's just it's a sea of beer farts. <laughs> oh, sounds uh, cook wonderful. on the engine blocks. They cook fucking, they grill. They fucking do everything. I've I, seen everything at a tailgate at a tailgate party. I like, never. I, I can honestly say I've never been to a tailgate party. Never once. bad i went to one football game and i'll never go into another one as long as i live because that parking lot was a fucking thing of nightmares it was like running gauntlet of hell we're in the parking lot to hell and if the packers are playing the bears oh man you get a weird ass mutant funk (laughs) oh speaking of mutants what you know? There's a uh, I know it's a weird segue here, but it made me think of Jason Voorhees, and we do get a uh, a, a bit of like right of the thirteenth in here because the movie does take place at least for one day on Friday the thirteenth. That's February Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, so we're in the same universe. Harry Warden and Jason Mar- Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Jason Myers. <laughs> wow. That, we that's, were talking about Halloween off air. Yeah, that that's actually I'm ruining it for you, folks. That's how Halloween and ends truly ends. Jason Voorhees shows up and shows Michael who's boss. Not nah, just kidding. Actually, I would have been up for that. I would have been up for that kind of an ending, but you know. Anyway, I want to get off on a rant here. Another rant. Yeah. <laughs> One rant for show. Oh, but, but police chief newbie. Yeah, he, he's got the right name, Newbie. He's an old fart, but he's a newbie, man. Covering up the M- Mabel's death and everything. It's just a real smooth move. Their whole thing is no dance, and they literally say there's no parties. It's like, I mean, what the fuck are you going to do if there is a party? Find them? You know? <laughs> like, he yeah, just says no parties. That's going to pan out. Bartender even gives them the second fucking warning. He's like, you need to fucking not do this. They're all like, ah, piss on Harry Ward. <laughs> Party at the mine. It's not like, yeah. hey, this murder's going on. Might as well have a fucking party at the mine. I, I couldn't help but fucking 
I couldn't help but laugh out loud at the old bartender, man. There's that fucking line where he's like, piss on Harry Warden. It reminds me of that fucking paste of Tani sauce commercial from Vegas. T- New York City. <laughs> Get a rope. <laughs> this is like, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I got a note here right after that one. It's just like, don't piss off ha- Happy. Because Happy is like anything but Happy. He's a curmudgeon old fart. But he f- finds out about the party. And they, he tells them, you know, well, they ask him, you know, you know, you know, don't you fucking say a thing or else. So what does he do? He decides to set up a fake Harry Warden trick so that when they open the door to get down into the go into the mine, it I, I, I guess, uh, you know, the thing doesn't work out because it's uh, a real eye opener for him. Yeah, when, really. Well, here's the thing. This is a weird shot scene, too, because like. <laughs> But he's back at the mining site and he sets up this fake Harry Warden dummy to pop out. And after admiring his work, like he goes back and he plays with it like three or four different times. And then fucking he goes back and opens it one more time. And there's fucking Harry pickaxe in hand, just fucking walk out. <laughs> it pops it up through his, his fucking chin, popping out his goddamn eyeball, man. Is yep. it? And then the, and when he starts dragging poor Happy, like, along the ground by the pickaxe in his head, that's fucking gruesome, man. You know, kudos. Yeah, pretty, that was good stuff. Yeah, it was. That's that's one they didn't do off screen, and that one was very effective. Yes, it was. That was a good fucking shot. But this is about the halfway point of the movie, and we finally get to our par- party, you know. And everybody, th- their idea of party is booze, booze, beer, more beer, and lots of boiled hot dogs. Yep. Somebody boils douchebag Dave with the hot dogs. Yeah, poor Dave. Death by hot dog water. What a way to go. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the, the Halloween 2 death when they kill the the nurse in the, the, the hydrotherapy room. But it's just like, it's almost worse because it's like <laughs> yeah. boiled to death by hot dog water. It's just like, ugh. What a way right. to go. It was cheap hot dogs, too, man. They weren't even, like, fucking beef franks. Those were those fucking 99-cent bar-ass hot dogs. Yeah, they couldn't afford Nathan's or nothing good. Yeah. Well, then we get fucking Axel and TJ2, Electric Boogaloo, as they fight over Sarah again at the party. We find out that TJ likes fucking neckerchiefs. <laughs> the blue neckerchief. I didn't. I didn't understand that. That was a weird aesthetic for him to be wearing for the rest of the movie. It's a fucking, <coughs> it's a fucking fashion fucking layover from the fucking seventies. And I'm sorry, whether you call it a dicky or an ascot or a neckerchief or whatever the fuck you want to call it, it was goofy looking then, and it's goofy looking now. I do will say one thing when him and Axel with TJ and Axel start throwing down and have that brief fight where TJ pretty much or you know gets his ass handed to him by Axel but Hollis steps in that's my favorite character cuz like not only is he like the, the you know the comic relief in this in this show or this movie sorry rather but he like he breaks things up he just grabs each of them in a side headlock and just separates them and is just like and Hollis is a big dude and with a yeah. magnificent mustache. And unfortunately, though, a bit of trivia, unfortunately, Keith Knight died pretty young at the age of 51. He died of brain cancer. Uh, so he passed away pretty, pretty, you know, young. 51 is way too young. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah, what a great character. Great character. 
funny as hell, great mustache. I know I keep talking about his mustache, but it's just perfectly coiffed. But yeah, he breaks them all up and sends them on their way, splitting the two of them up. But then what happens? We get a couple who break Slasher Protocol 101 by doing what? Going away to the shower area, the mining shower area, to fuck. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You missed the one crucial moment. Which is? Axel Axel runs off and has himself a little cry and a drink alone. Oh, yeah. He has a tear in his beer. Yeah, he does. Poor Axel. Not really. I don't feel sorry for him at all, considering where this is heading. I said they're both kind of douchey. Yeah, like, you know, when it comes out in the wash who's who in this movie, you know, you don't really feel bad for either one of them because they're both kind of assholes. They bo- both kind of deserve all the bad things that are going to happen to them. But uh, John and Sylvia, they break they break the protocol, going away to fuck. And at the mostly at the same time, you know, they get there, they start making out, they're in the shower room, and John leaves Sylvia alone to go get more beer, like, like they go off all that way to just to have some alone time. And she asks him if he has anything on him. He pulls out a rubber, the prophylactic condom, whatever you want to call it. And she's like, no, not that. I meant a beer. So she leave, he leaves her alone. And she gets a poor Helene Udy as Sylvia, gone too soon in this movie, gets impaled upon the, the shower head. And I think it's a great effect when John comes back and he finds her that way with all the showers on and the showers running through her mouth as this impaled through the back of her head and it's like bloody water just pumping out her mouth. It's a great, great stunt and great effect. Yeah, it really does look good. The, like I said, it's the second off-screen death in the, in the version I've seen. You didn't get to see it. You just, John comes back and finds her. But good, goodbye, goodbye to Helene Udy. And it's, uh, you know, this is where everything gets, starts to come to a head. They're, they're dumping more hot dog water into the big boiling pot of Frank's. And they don't seem to think that it's uh, an odd thing. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the Patty character or it might have been somebody else. Fishes out the, while well, she's going for a hot dog, fishes out the heart. So we got a heart in the hot dog water and Dave's head in the cooler that they go and reach in and grab a beer and don't find it right away. It's like right there, right in front of them. <laughs> but, uh, I thought it was a bad thing of lettuce. <laughs> That's what's smelling so bad. It's the head of cabbage they had on there, man. I don't know what's going on. And everybody decides to take a ride down to the fucking mine, even though TJ tells them not to, but Hollis pretty much ignores him. Yeah, that's where Hollis makes a big mistake. I mean, like, I mean, what could go wrong, right? I mean, besides everything. Well, no, it was Hollis and his little group is going down to play in the mine. John runs up just in time to find out that Dave is dead along with Sylvia. <laughs> yeah, it's like a double whammy. John r- runs into the room saying Sylvia's been dead. And one of the other girls runs into the room saying that they just found Dave's body in the cooler so it's like simultaneously they've discovered two bodies at the same time and right. really from here is this pandemonium all shit gets right. you know well, they decide so that harry warden is back and they all freak out and everyone takes off for town and axel and tj take off down to the mine for hollis and the others 
And this is where Sarah's we, with them, you know. And so that's I think that's the only reason why they were even interested in trying to get their <laughs> them back. If Sarah wasn't down there with the others, he wouldn't have and they probably wouldn't have even bothered going down there. <laughs> but that's no, where but let's get to that scene where I talk about where him and Axel take the uh elevator down to the mine and TJ gets off the elevator alone in that next shot for that little deceptive little shot that they have. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what's going to, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, questionable at all that we only got like a couple of people left in our two main, I guess, sort of douchebaggy heroes separate. So one of them is going to end up being responsible for this shit. Of course. You know, you just know it is. And and the thing is, I remember the first time I watched this the whole time, the whole time I thought it was TJ, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, it ends up, uh. Being a, a swerve out of left field because everybody goes down into the, the go, they go to tour the abandoned section of the mine. Now, they don't just go down into the mine, but Hollis takes them down into the abandoned section of the mine that has been closed off since the 1800s. You know, that pissed me off, too, because he's like, he, first and foremost, fucking TJ tells him, he's like, man, it's dangerous. You can't have women down in the mine. You can't be doing that. He's like, oh, we're just taking a ride and then we're coming back up. And then everybody's like, oh, what's down there? He's like, oh, come on, I'll show you around. Seeing as how you know we're down here and all, it's like no, don't do that. <laughs> you don't take take people, men, women, a- anybody down into a dangerous place like that mine. And meanwhile, our other group of cast that we—that's one thing. Another thing we talked about off air is that there was there was way too many people in this cast of characters when we first started out, and they got rid of the good plenty of them by having them take off from the mine, go get the sheriff and the, the mayor. Yeah, because there's another good dozen to 14 people that are just, like, in this group, and just, like, it got to be too many characters. Yeah, it was I, think, I think they knew it, too. Yeah, I think they did some some last-minute tidying up, which, you know what, they did it in a good way, too. Yeah, well, they dwindled the numbers down so that they could dwindle them down either further by, you know, killing them off, you know, because the next group of, of, the, of the, the kids, I keep saying kids, but these are the oldest group of kids that I've ever seen. Mike and Harriet also break slasher protocol by going to do what again? Going to fuck in the mine. Oh, no. <laughs> and there's there's two slasher protocol fuck ups in this movie because one you don't ever you, ever you don't ever go away to fuck. If you fuck in a slasher movie, you're gonna die. It's pretty much slasher one on one. But then they do what? They split up. They split they up. Split, it's just like uh. split up from the party to fuck. And then on top of it, they go to fuck in the place where Harry was fucking trapped. Oh, yeah. Go fuck in the mind where I was trapped for six weeks? You think this is a game? (laughs) (laughs) No wonder he fucking impales the two of those fuckers to the couch and poor Hollis. Poor Hollis. Yeah, he gets nailed. Yeah, he does. (laughs) But he finds them. He's just like, oh, Oh shit, man! And he's never seen. It's just like the look of horror on his face as he realizes what he's looking at. Yeah, he thinks he's looking right into the face, or at least into the the mask of Harry Warden, and he hits him with that nail gun right to the temple. And it doesn't. The, the horrifying thing is, it doesn't kill him right away. He kind of yeah. stumbles around while his eyes roll back, and he's slowly dying. And then he loads up another nail into the nail gun, and then pow, gives him one right between the eyes, and. 
still doesn't quite kill him because he stumbles down that that uh, the mine shaft until he runs into everybody else, and he's just dead. He's dead as Dillinger, man. And his girlfriend, I think, what was her name, Patty? She freaks yeah. the fuck out. She, you know, and, and rightfully so. She she goes a little bit wackaloon, you know. But I mean, you can't blame her. Slaps the piss out of her. <laughs> yeah, Slara Colcox are one, and then the, down. <laughs> and then yeah. her first reaction is to hug her afterwards. Like, okay, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for like blooding my lip. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, this is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break things, start breaking things down a little bit. The the, subs, the subterfuge and the the misdirection in this movie is very good. Yes, it is. But I don't think. I can't say for sure the first time I watched this, because I watched this very young. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. So I can't say for sure the first time. But, like, in subsequent viewings, you know, I, I always try to watch it when I watch it again. Watch it with a fresh set of eyes as if I've never seen it again and never seen it before. But even with the subterfuge and misdirection, I don't know that if I ever believed it was truly Harry Warden that was behind everything. I don't know that I ever believed that. I always thought it was either TJ or Axel. I always hardcore thought that it was TJ or Axel too. It was the Harry Warden, the way that they friggin' framed it, it was just it was too convenient that he was missing and he couldn't be found. And it's it's like, no, nah, they're gonna swerve this on us. I think we can probably give it away now at least a little bit before the the you know, before the ball drops here. But it ends up being Axel. Because you know he disappears. He he has another like off-screen death. You know they have the Howard character who abandons the girls because fuck Howard. How the Howard character who's kind of the big buffoon of the group. He you know runs and leaves the girls as soon as he thinks he sees Harry Warden coming. Then he ends up getting dropped and like I think he gets decapitated. I think I can't remember in which version. Yeah, yeah, he gets decapitated. He gets uh uh as they're. That's a little bit ahead of where we're at. Uh, Alice gets the rail spike in the dome for his troubles. Uh, Axel, Sarah, and Patty run into TJ. Howard's still gone. Uh, meanwhile, Sheriff, uh, the chief shows up uh, to the mine, pistol in hand, and we're coming to the end of our our movie here as the yeah. elevator controls are smashed. Uh they realize that they're going to have to climb to get out of the mine. And, and they're uh, like, what, a couple thousand feet down, I think they said? Yeah, I think it's said 2,000 feet down. So that's a hell of a fucking climb right then and there, which I don't think I could climb a ladder 3,000 feet high. <laughs> no, I my knees, I, I'd be like the, the Patty character. I'd be like halfway up. I'd be like, yep, this is just where I'm stopping. I'm just yep. going to die here. I'm, I'm, I'm 800 feet up. I'm just going to die. And then to have Howard's body dropped on top of your head. I, I, yeah, I'll just take my fucking chances fighting Harry down to the mine rather than fucking trying to climb a 2,000-foot ladder. <laughs> no. But this is where we get the point where Alex, not Alex, Axel, you know, dies off screen. We hear a, a, a crash and a splash, and he uh, broken through a railing, and you see his mining helmet sinking into the water, and he says something. Uh, I think as TJ says, well, we can't do anything. We can't save him. It's 60 foot deep. He's He's dead. He's drowned. He's gone. And yep. Axel's not dead. Me think not. I don't think so. And because yeah. then, you know, Harry Warden slash Axel shows up in his full regalia, all dressed up in his miner's outfit with the pickaxe and the, and the mining helmet. And I got to say something that I don't think we've uh, touched base on. 
here, at least in, in so far in the show, it's such a great outfit. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's not a, a creepy Michael Myers mask. It's not Freddy Krueger with his glo- glove. It's not you know Jason Voorhees with the hockey mask. It's a it's just a minor, you know, with the the helmet and the mask on. You know, is like normally you would think of it as just a normal thing and a normal getup, but in this movie, it's so effective and so goddamn creepy. Well, it's because you can't see anything because of the way the those miners' suits are built. It makes it so dark and beat out. So yeah, it's just, all you see is this fucking person coming at you with a fucking pickaxe. You can't, you know, you can't even orientate who it is. You have no idea who's coming for you. Yeah. Like, so then we, uh, see a person face to face, you can kind of size them up a little bit, and not you can, if you can see somebody's eyes, you can see somebody's yeah. face, you can kind of read what's going on. But like, but that that mat with that mask, it's yeah, it's, Possible. Just, it's creepy. But. uh then we get into some Indiana Jones type action where they're going on the rail car. You know, they're they're hopping from rail car to rail car. There's a fist we, we fight going this, on. We skip something. Oh <laughs> uh, wait, exactly. dead Patty. Yeah, Patty gets a pickaxe to the gut. Yeah, I forgot. I kept thinking that happened after this, but that no, you're right. You're right. That did happen before this. Yeah, but that's when uh, we get the minecart battle. Yeah, the minecart battle is some pretty good stunt work for a, you know, movie of this movies of this ilk usually didn't have too many big action set pieces and stunt work to them, but this one is just done pretty fucking well. Yeah, it's done really well. I think they they really made the most of their of their scenery. Yeah, I mean, with the, their surroundings and whatnot, because this was all set up, you know, it was not sets, but it was all done on location in a couple of different mines, and you know, they really tore some of this place up. I mean, like when they start tearing the walls down, they start, to, you know, all the the support beams are all like compromised and everything starts crashing down around them. And this is where, you know, Axel is revealed, you know, they rip his mask off and he's revealed midway through the fight between him and TJ. And this is the one part where I find it's just a little bit, uh, it, it's really kind of shoehorned in really quick because they do that quick flashback where you see that he was, you know, that he was one of the two uh, foremen, the two foremen that left the five miners down there. Because the way the legend goes, the two, the two foremen had was too hur- too big a hurry to get to town, and start drinking. They left five miners down there, and that's when they got trapped. So when Harry Warden got back, you know, he killed both of the foremen and killed a few other people, but like he killed uh, Axel's father right in front of him. I mean, it's such a brief flashback. I just thought it could have been, it could have been spelt out a little bit better. I felt like that part, you know, it's a minor, minor they complaint. They should have took more time with it. I agree. Even if it was an extra 15 to 30 seconds, it was just like, you know, uh, it, it just felt a little rushed. But, you know, the, the, but the sheriff is showing up now with like dozens of people in tow. He's got miners, he's got, you know, EMTs, he's got the rest of the, you know, couple of guys in the police force, dozens of guys showing up. And that's when you find out, and once the, I guess the, this is the point where the mine collapses and, and seemingly buries Axel, isn't it? It is, and they, and you know what, they pulled a big movie no-no here, and this is one of my main complaints with this movie, is that okay, the entire time we had this friggin' Harry, is it Harry Warden? Is it not Harry Warden? Is it Harry Warden? Is it not Harry Warden? It was Axel all along. 
But after we find out it's Axel, then the chief police shows up and says, oh, yeah, he's been dead for five years. They should have yeah. that before. So that you go, as you hold this entire time, you're thinking, it's Harry Warden, it's Harry Warden, it's Harry Warden, it's Harry Warden. And then they go, oh, no, he's been dead for five years. They finally figured it out. Who is it? It's just like, we know. We already fucking know. It's like, <laughs> you're, you're literally fucking as worthless as tits on a bar, Sheriff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but it can't be Harry Warden. It's like, listen, to the only couple people that are still surviving, we already know who the fuck it is. It's not Harry. We know it's not Harry Warden. Right. It's Axel. He has daddy issues. <laughs> fucking disappears into the mind singing a creepy little weird song. Oh, but you, you glossed over one part that's my favorite part of that finale is that they're buried he he's buried and his arm is sticking out and sylvia not sylvia uh sarah goes back and starts holding his arm holding his hand and then he on the other side of the rubble takes a knife and hacks off his the rest of his own arm to separate himself that was can... my version huh that wasn't in my version oh that's not Oh, oh, see, in, in yeah. this, in the uncut version, she goes back, and when she, they're like, he's alive, you know, Axel's still alive, you know, as they're running off, he, she runs back, holds his hand, she, he or actually goes to hold his hand, and he grabs her arm and won't let go, and she's trying to get away. He takes a knife, hacks off his arm at the elbow, and stumbles away, and then you get the, you know, the whole, you know, that finale of him singing, you know, won't you be my Valentine? Sarah, and then he just starts laughing as the credits roll. But yeah, he hacks off his own arm. That must have been just in the unrated version. Sometimes I get the two versions uh, mixed up. But that just drives things home exponentially more for me. Like oh, he's like that makes the fucking ending so much better. Yeah, I, I like feel gypped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, pick up. I don't know uh, if the the Blu-ray has the uncut version of, but I know the DVD has the uncut unrated version and is so much is so worth it if folks at home especially too if you're listening it's worth the extra 10 15 bucks to dip into your wallet to buy the unrated version even if you own the r-rated version trust me that for that scene alone it's so totally worth it because that's when you really realize like just how full-blown whack-a-loon fucking axel is like yep I don't want to get fucking, you know, put in jail or put into a loony bin, you know, and let these guys dig me out. He just hikes off his own arm and disappears into the mine, swearing that he, him, that him and Harry are going to come back and get everybody. I thought that was interesting that he had taken on the persona of Harry so much that he's like, we're both coming to get you. Like, it's just. We're back and we're getting this whole town. Yep. It's just a chef's kiss and. Uh, I, I would definitely look up that that ending if you can find it, like on YouTube or something. Eric, it would be, uh, yeah, I think it behoove you to, to to watch that. Oh yeah, I'll definitely find it. Like I said, it's on my buy list for Amazon. So. But uh, this is, like I said, one of the few movies that we're doing here for Single Servant Slasher Month that has a remake. And no sequels, although they did try to make a sequel in, in 2001. It just didn't uh, end up happening. I thought it would have been great to see an official sequel. But uh, I'm going to touch base on the remake here just very briefly because I don't want to talk about that movie because we're going to be covering it here very soon. 
but I like the My Bloody Valentine remake. I think it's done with a lot of care, and I think the 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 detail they spent on the special effects and to really hone in the story of Harry Warden was done really well. It's shot really fucking well. It's one of the few... Okay, let me put it this way. It's one of the few remakes I like, and it's one of the few movies that was filmed specifically with the idea of 3D being a front-runner in the schematics of how to make this movie, and the 3D effects work really, really well. Even if you just watch the 2D version, it's done really well. And also, it's got Tom motherfucking Atkins in it, so... That's three good reasons to go see it. To, to go and see it, it's it's a it's a good remake. The Black Bloody Valentine remake two thousand nine definitely gets a thumbs up for me. Yeah, it's a thumbs up for me too. It's very well done. It's very, it's like they 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 had whoever took on that project watched the original and they put a lot of love and a lot of effort into keeping it to its roots and at the same time improving it. But that was done by Patrick Lercier and uh, written by uh, Todd Farmer. And so, and they're a good team. They they do some really great stuff together. But uh, I love the tagline for it too. Get your heart broken. It's just great. It's so tongue in. It's 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 it's, it's not exactly tongue in cheek, but it has moments of tongue in cheekness that is done really well. And again, you know, don't want to get off on too much of a rant here about the the the, the remake, but. It's so good. It's done so well. And it's one of the few instances where I can stand behind the remake pretty much this about the same amount as I can stand behind the, the original. That both have their own merits. And yeah, but, I agree. It's a very it's very, very, very few and far between that you see a sequel or a remake that is just top tier. And this yeah. is one of the better ones. It's definitely worth the watch, definitely worth the 15 bucks to get it yeah exactly but that being said we are at the end of our movie and pretty much the end of the show um you know how we do things around here eric guests usually go first so give us your final thoughts and a rating on a scale from one to ten sir well that's like i said it's the 81 so you have to be forgiving between what was going on in the industry fact that it was a canadian shot film uh that being said you know this is a slow burn movie and it does a really good job at being a slow burn movie it keeps you guessing the whole entire time i haven't probably watched this film in i don't know 10 years so came back to it you know it was one of those that was fresh to my mind again because i've seen so many films and i don't quite remember exactly what is going on so this entire time, you know, it, it it's definitely, you know, fresh eyes on this for me. And it's very well done. It's it's got everything that's done, even in the bad movie notos, is done right this way. You have off screen deaths, but the off screen deaths that they had to because of the way that it was shot and being, you know, restrictions and everything at the time. What they did get away with showing, they manage it very well. And the ones that they do get on screen are done just as gruesomely, just as well. It's all around just uh, it's 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 how movies if you're going to make a slow burn horror, this is how you do it the right way. Could use the little less characters, could use the little less cast, but 
even with that overcasting, I think, you know, by the third act, they realized, hey, we got way too much stuff going on here with these characters and we need to dip this out. Well, okay, let's split the party into these people will go to town to the sheriff. These are the yep. people that are going to get victimized. And they they do a good job at pushing those people aside and pushing the other people where they need to go. So that's done well. Visual effects done very, very well. Filming quality, not dark and grainy. And you would expect it to be dark and grainy in a mine. Yeah, yeah. For a movie set in 81 as well. Yeah, that's why it's like, wow. Really good production quality. Great cast. Everything said and done. This is a solid eight in my book. Nice, nice. Well, for once, I'm coming in higher than you. Um, I, I, I agree with everything you've said, but I have an insane amount of love for this movie. I'm giving it a nine out of ten. It's near perfection for me. If just a, a few minor quibbles would be... You know, there are a few moments that kind of drag with the extra characters, but like once they get to the party and people start dropping off like flies, they they do right by it and they kind of like realize, okay, too many characters, too much going on. We need to find a way to separate our main cast, you know, and they do that in a really smart way. And, you know, they're just like, listen, you go get the cops, you go get help and send in the cavalry. Um you know, uh, even with the, the off-screen deaths, I think, you know, mo- most of them are forgivable, you know, but the, the uncut or re- unrated version of this is the way to go. Uh, I give the, I'll put it this way, I'll give it, I'll mend my rating, I will give the R-rated version an 8, I give the unrated version a 9, if That's, that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense, because, like I said, there's stuff missing from mine that I didn't see, so I can't give it that 9 rating on that, what I viewed. Yeah, sure. And I'm pretty sure that if I saw the unrated, uncut version, it would bump it up that point. So, yeah, that's definitely agreeable. I'm right there with you. Yeah, um, I'll see if I can find that uh, that alternate, uh, that extended ending and maybe send it to you on YouTube. I'm I'm sure it's available on there. I'll send you a link to it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like you were done a disservice by not seeing that extra little bit at the ending when Axel cuts off his own arm. It's such the chef's kiss to this. It's like, okay, this guy is... Not just crazy, he is, as Carlin would say, full-blown wackaloon. He is, well, what does it you always say? Nutter butters? Nutter butters, nuttier than a squirrel turd. Crazy at house rat. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a good movie, and it's a shame that we never got a sequel, but we did get one hell of a remake, and that almost is something I would thought I would never say, that I was happy uh, for this movie to have a remake, because they they actually did it with respect and love, and I, I appreciate that, so they did really good with it. But anyway, anyway, uh, folks at home, listening at home, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we've had a lot. I know I can speak for both of us. We both had a lot of fun reviewing this one. A little bit more fun than we had uh, reviewing Slaughter High. This You can kind of consider this a little bit of the redemption episode, of course. Oh, thank but, God. Uh, <laughs> I, I, still, I still like Slaughter High. but Slaughter great. It's just that fucking music. Oh, my God. God, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, for three weeks I had that shit stuck in my head. Da, 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 da. Oh, you fucking asshole! <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I will expect you showing up my door with weed and duct tape and, and a hammer probably pretty soon. <laughs> oh, but folks, anyway, listening at home. Thank you again for tuning in. 
for our Cinema Degeneration's Single Serving Slasher Appreciation Month. We got a few more of these in store for you. So please keep tuning in. We'll keep doing them. And if you really want to help us out, the best way you can do that, you know how to do it. Rate, review, subscribe, like our links, like our posts, share them. And possibly, you know, if you have a suggestion for what you'd like us to review next, send us a request. We'll take requests. We'll take them all day long. So so that being said, you have been listening to us to reviewing and dissecting My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm telling you now, this town is accursed. It started 20 years ago. It was the night of the Valentine's Day dance, the Union Hall. The biggest event of the year. It had been a tradition for over 100 years. Everybody was there except for seven miners who were out at the Hanager Mine. Five of them still down below. Two supervisors were waiting for the men to come up. Anxious to get to the party, they left before the men were safely out, failing to check the methane gas levels in the tunnels down below. <laughs>